Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join our senior pastor, Dr. Chris Walker. It's a privilege and a joy, as always, to turn to look at God's Word together, and we are turning this morning to Ephesians chapter 4. If you were with us last week, you know that we started chapter 4, and Paul, after spending three whole chapters talking about all that God has done for us in Christ, has now turned to urge us to walk in a manner that's worthy of what God has given us in Christ and called us to to walk worthy of that calling by which we will dwell together as His people with Him forever. And last week, the beginning of chapter 4, we saw Paul emphasize that believers ought to walk worthy of this call by eagerly pursuing peace and unity with each other as one body who share in one spirit, with one hope, united in one Lord, with one faith and one baptism under one God and Father of us all. You know, sometimes we easily get focused on our differences from one another. We feel like the differences between us are the more obvious or or glaring thing in front of us. We like different things or, or have different opinions or have different languages in different cultures. I feel like those make deep relationship challenging. But it's interesting as we read through Scripture that the Bible never really seems to focus on these differences. In fact, the Bible seems to indicate that they are mostly insignificant compared to our unity together around our shared standard in the Word of God, around our union in Christ through the Spirit of God, around our one faith and shared hope together in God that enables genuine joy and relationship together in the face of these differences. But if we read Scripture, there is one area that the Bible does talk about our differences and does emphasize our differences. And that area is the way that God gives different gifts to different members of His church for the good of His church. And that's the focus of our passage this morning as we look back to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to pick up with verse 7. And so if you have your Bibles, let's read together. We're coming off of verse 6 that talked about our one Lord, our one faith, our one baptism, our one God and Father of us all. And now we look to verse 7, which reads this. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions the earth, and he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now I realize, as you'll quickly notice, that we're in the middle of another one of Paul's really long sentences. This seems to be a pattern for him here in Ephesians. But we're going to stop here with verse 12 and finish the sentence next week. But let's pray as we look at God's Word. Father, how we thank You for giving this Word to us. 
for writing it to us by the hand of Paul. Would your spirit now challenge us and encourage us and build us up as your people through your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This passage talks about gifts. When it comes to gifts, I think there are two different kinds. There's the gifts that are given to us for our own sake, and then there are the gifts that are given to us to help us accomplish some purpose. It's the difference between the parents who, out of their abundance, give their 16-year-old daughter a, a brand new car to enjoy, and the parents who give their daughter a car to help them transport all their younger siblings to all their practices and make the grocery runs. It's the difference maybe between a, a cash gift from your grandparents for Christmas and your grandparents helping you pay your college tuition. And of course, if you're a giver, it's very important that you don't mix up these two kinds of gifts. If uh, any of you husbands have ever made the mistake of giving your wife nice new laundry baskets for her birthday, you'll know you should not mix up gifts for their own sake and gifts to help them accomplish a task. But that does not mean that a gift given for a purpose is less significant. In fact, a gift that enables someone to develop a skill or to work for a purpose can be a profound blessing. And as we turn to Ephesians 4 this morning, it's the second kind of gift that we find given to us by Christ, that Christ has given each of His people gifts, gifts freely given to enable us to fulfill His purpose for us. We've already heard that we're to walk worthy of our calling and that our calling is related to our dwelling together for all eternity as one people. This morning we find out that these gifts are given that we might minister to one another for the strength and health of God's church. As Paul talks about these gifts, he reminds us of the source of our gifts. He reminds us the nature of the gifts Christ gives, and then he describes the purpose for these gifts, and we'll look at each of them. But let's start with verses 7 through 10. If you're looking at verses 7 through 10, here we'll find Paul reminding us of the source of our spiritual gifts. Now, Paul's just been talking about this bond of peace and unity that exists among all of God's people, all those who have been saved by Christ. But now Paul pauses to note that this unity is not uniformity. God doesn't take all those who come to faith in Christ and turn them into a host of identical clones, like some vast crowd of stormtroopers or products off a heavenly assembly line. No, God calls His people and He gifts them in different ways. Just as in creation, God filled His creation with stars and waterfalls and hummingbirds and daffodils and this wide variety of beauty, so God, when He creates this one new people, His church, creates it to display rich and beautiful variety as He gives them different gifts. Paul, I think, puts it well in Romans 12, verse 4, when he says, as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. God has created a church of many different people with different gifts as part of His one body. But Paul makes it clear that these different gifts all come from Christ. Christ is the source of our spiritual gifts. And Paul describes Christ's gift-giving by quoting from Psalm 68. You see it there in verse 8. 
Now, if you were to look back and read Psalm 68, what you'd find is that Psalm 68 is David describing God's defeat of his enemies as he brought Israel out of Egypt, defeated their enemies, and brought them in to the promised land. He describes God as having this victory march toward Jerusalem and up Mount Zion, leading a host of captives in his train and then receiving gifts among men. And this psalm is picking up on an ancient tradition that a, a, a king who would go out and win a victory would come home and have a, a victory parade. And in that parade, there would be captives uh, from the war. There would be spoil uh, from the war. And as the parade went into the capital city, this victorious leader would then distribute gifts from the spoil and tribute to his soldiers and to his men and to his people. But Paul reads Psalm 68 about this victory of God over his enemies. And he sees Christ. Christ who descended to earth as a baby. But then, through resurrection, ascends again into heaven at the right hand of God. And Paul sees Christ as the fulfillment of God's victory in Psalm 68. As he climactically defeats sin and Satan and all the enemies of God's people. And redeems them. And just like the kings of old, Christ, as He ascended in victory, has been given a great gift, the Holy Spirit. And then Christ turns around and pours out this Holy Spirit in a wide variety of gifts that He lavishes on His people. That's Paul quoting Psalm 68. I think it's significant, though, that Paul calls these gifts grace that we receive from Christ. Now, you and I are probably used to thinking about grace as God's salvation, His forgiveness of our sins. And that's certainly true. God's forgiveness of our sins is perhaps the chief benefit of God's grace, His undeserved kindness. But God's favor, His undeserved kindness is much bigger than just the forgiveness of our sins. It is much broader and more comprehensive in its scope. And the idea that our gifts are grace is a reminder that whenever we are enabled to bless one another by using the gifts given by God's Spirit, we are enjoying God's undeserved kindness and favor. When we pray for one another, when we encourage one another, when we lead a small group Bible study, when we volunteer in Sunday school, when we warn one another, when we comfort or teach one another, when we give generously to the work of God's kingdom, all of these things and all of these, we are enjoying the undeserved favor and kindness of God as we use the gifts He's given us for the sake of the church. And when we use these gifts, not for our own sake or enjoyment, but for one another and for the good of the church, we're witnessing something that only happens Because Christ Jesus is risen from the dead, ascended to the right hand of God, and has given gifts to His people for the benefit of His church. It's a beautiful picture. It's a reminder and a blessing that we see lived out among us every day. So Christ is the great source of all our gifts. But I want to pause before moving on, um, just to comment, maybe in some nitty-gritty details in a way that I don't always comment. Because Paul's quote of Psalm 68 here has caused some consternation. It's caused some consternation because if you were to flip back to Psalm 68, 
And specifically to verse 18, which is what Paul is quoting here, Psalm 68, 18. There the psalm reads that God ascended on high, leading a host of captives in His train, and He received gifts among men. It seems to be emphasizing God receiving gifts and tribute and spoil among men. But when you flip to Ephesians, Paul says that God ascended on high, led a host of captives, and He gave gifts to men. It seems like Paul has changed the words of the psalm, and it seems like he bases the entire argument of this whole passage on the words that he changed, which has led some to say, well, you know, Paul just intentionally changed the wording to fit his point. But that would be tampering with God's Word. And so others say, well, maybe Paul was quoting from memory and he just got it wrong. He misquoted Scripture. But that would mean that there are errors in God's Word. And not because we just believe those things are wrong, but just think about who Paul was. Think about Paul as the Pharisee of Pharisees, his utterly minute and thorough knowledge of Scripture, his love for and respect for Scripture, and the fact that he would change Scripture or just forget it and misquote it is completely untenable. So what is happening? That's the question for us, and there are a couple of ways to connect the dots, and the text doesn't give us all the information to know which of these ways was foremost in Paul's mind, but the important facts are that in a victory march, the king would march into the city, he would receive tribute and spoils, and then he would give it back to his followers and his people, that receiving and giving were part of this picture. In fact, the Hebrew word in Psalm 68 may well imply both receiving and giving. And there's in both an ancient Aramaic and a Syriac version of the Old Testament, written well before Paul's time, that both use the Aramaic and Syriac words for giving gifts to men. In other words, there's a long tradition that understood Psalm 68:18 to be describing God as both receiving and then giving gifts to men. And Paul represents that tradition faithfully here to the Ephesians. Now, I give you this nitty-gritty grammatical discussion in ways I don't always do because this is a classic text that some use to say, see, your Bible is not reliable. Paul just says whatever he wants to and manipulates Scripture to do whatever he wants. Or there's errors in Scripture. And I want you to know that that is not the case. Scripture is infallible, it is inerrant, and there are good reasons to trust it, even if it takes a little bit of work to understand it. So there's a pause. The main point, though, we've just reviewed is that Christ is the one who gives these gifts to his people. So let's move on to verse 11, where Paul, having shown us that each of us has spiritual gifts from Christ, then starts to talk about those gifts. What are they? And I think it's important to remember that when we talk about spiritual gifts, we're not strictly talking about talents or abilities. I've talked to some young uh, men in the church, and we talk about gifts, and someone will say, well, you know, I'm, I'm really good at soccer. I'm really good at this Nintendo 64 game that came out. It's a little old now, I realize, uh, even in my own analogy, but hey, you know, I'm old too, getting there comparatively. Um, But that's not what we're talking about with spiritual gifts. What we are talking about when we talk about spiritual gifts is talking about a calling and a spirit-empowered ability that God has given us to bless one another in the church. 
And Paul lists five of these here in Ephesians 4. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. What are these gifts? We've already met the apostles and prophets back in chapter 2. The apostles were those 12 specifically called and designated by Christ, along with Paul and perhaps James, the brother of Jesus, those who had witnessed Christ's resurrection and were commissioned to speak Christ's words to the church in his stead after he had ascended to heaven. The prophets were those whom God had called to receive revelation from God for the guidance of the church before Scripture was written down and available. And these gifts, apostles and prophets, were both unique gifts, unique to the early days of the church, though their gifts continue to strengthen and help us because their words are recorded for us in Scripture. Then Paul mentions the evangelists. And I think it's important to remember that all of God's people are called to witness to the gospel. And God uses all of his people to bring others to know Jesus. But there are some who are particularly called and particularly gifted at sharing the gospel, at helping others see the weight of sin and the offer of salvation through faith in Christ. And maybe you might think of of names you know from history, maybe a D.L. Moody or a, a Billy Graham or a Paul Washer or someone who is particularly gifted in presenting the gospel and leading many to Christ. But it's not just those who have the gift of evangelism. There are also many members of God's church, many members of local congregations who have this gift as well. I was down at Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama this January, and one of the pastors shared with us about a woman, a dear lady in their church, who had decided several decades before to be intentional about inviting young mothers into her home, just to hear about their challenges and struggles and to look for a chance to talk with them about Christ. And over the course of several decades, this pastor said, as they've looked at the roles of their church, they estimated that this woman was responsible for bringing over 150 ladies in the church to faith in Jesus Christ. Now again, God uses all of his people in different ways at different times to bring others to the gospel. But there are some who are given this gift, this calling and spirit-empowered ability for evangelism. Then Paul mentions the shepherds and teachers, which maybe we're more familiar with. Pastors or shepherds are those that God has called to care for and to guard and to disciple the flock, while teachers are those gifted to explain and to teach God's Word. It seems from the grammar of the sentence here that Paul saw these as overlapping groups. In other words, there are many who are gifted to teach, and some of those who are gifted to teach are also called and gifted to shepherd or to pastor. Now, we know that these five gifts are not the only gifts God gives His church. In fact, if you were to read in Romans and 1 Corinthians and and 1 Peter, you'd find multiple lists of spiritual gifts that together mention at least 19 or 20 different gifts. These gifts include some that were prominent in the early church. Apostles, prophets, speaking in tongues, healings and miracles. Some which we associate with elders, teaching and leadership. Others that are true of all of God's people. We think of serving, exhorting and encouraging, giving and generosity, acts of mercy, administration. These are all gifts that are mentioned in Scripture as spiritual gifts that God gives His people. The list is probably not exhaustive. 
But Paul focuses on these five here. And why? Why Why does he focus on these five? Well, we'll see why, but I think it's worth noticing that these five gifts are all word-related gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors, they're all teaching and bringing God's word-related gifts. And the reason I think that Paul focuses on these, we find out in verse 12, when we come to our last point, where Paul explains the purpose of these spiritual gifts. Why has God given these spiritual gifts to his people? Well, verse 12 gives us both a purpose statement and an instruction manual for how his church is supposed to operate. So I hope you look at verse 12 here. Now, I should say that um, I've often been accused of using hyperbolic language sometimes, especially when I'm telling a story or getting into something that I'm excited about. But I think it's impossible for me to really overemphasize the significance of Paul's words in verse 12. Verse 12 gives us the pattern for how God's church is to operate in order to accomplish what God has called us to do. First, Paul gives us our purpose statement. He says that Christ's goal in giving out these spiritual gifts is that his church might be built up and matured. That's Christ's purpose, his goal. But then he gives us a manual for how to use these gifts so that the church will grow into the mature body that God intends it to be. You know, the church is an organic body and God wants it to grow and mature and bear fruit. And I think what, what Paul gives us here is the growing instructions for the church. If you've ever gotten a plant or a a fruit tree, and especially if you're like me who has a a brown thumb, not a green thumb, the first thing you do is you open that instruction, those growing instructions, and you read, okay, does it need full sun or partial shade? When does it get pruned? Does it, when does it get fertilized? Uh, Does it need to be watered a lot or not, not much? What do we do to keep this plant growing and healthy to bring it to fruitfulness and maturity. And that's how we should read Paul's words here in verse 12. How do we act so that Christ's body grows? And the pattern Paul gives us is this. Christ has gifted some with word-related gifts, which then equip all the saints to use their gifts to minister to one another. And it is as all the saints are using their gifts to minister to one another that the church is strengthened and built up. In other words, if you follow Paul's logic, Christ has given some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, and their calling is to equip all the rest of the saints to use their gifts to minister to one another so that the whole church grows in maturity. Or to put it another way, if you ask, who does the work of ministry in the church? The answer is not the pastors and staff. The answer is you do. You do. To put it another way, those of you who volunteer in so many ways are not helping the pastors and staff do their ministry. It's the other way around. When you volunteer, the pastors and staff are helping and equipping you to do your ministry in the church. You know, there's a strong trend to specialize in our culture. For any need, there's a professional for that. And sometimes that's really good. If I'm going to get surgery, I really want the guy who's done 10,000 of the same surgeries doing my surgery. But when it comes to the church, when it comes to helping one another in the body of Christ, God has called us and equipped us all to minister to each other. There's author and, and counselor Paul Tripp is 
probably a, a pastor and counselor that many people look to as a very equipped and, and capable professional. But he tells a story about how a friend one day called him up and said, Paul, I met this guy. His wife just kicked him out of the house. He lost his job. He's on the street. He needs help. Can I bring him over to you so that you can help him? And Paul Tripp said, no. You may not bring him over to my house, but I will pray for you and I will give you some advice so that you can minister to him because God has clearly brought you into his life to minister to him. In other words, well, yes, there are times a professional is necessary, but in the church, God has called all of the saints to minister with the gifts God has given them. He hasn't called just the pastors to do the ministry. Tripp concludes this way. He says, God has a huge toolbox and his principal tools are his children. And sadly, many people in the church do not see themselves this way. They think of ministry as something for the paid professional, but our adoption into the family of God is also a call to ministry. When we are adopted as one of God's children, we are called to be part of the good work of the kingdom in each other's lives. And if you think about it, isn't this really most of our experience? Yes, we are, we are helped by pastors and counselors and professionals. But I know I can say for me, well, that is true. Much of my spiritual growth has not come from a professional. It's come from my friends, from conversations over breakfast, from time with my home fellowship group, from other believers who have come alongside me and ministered to me and comforted me and helped me. That's how we grow. There are, of course, temptations against this on both sides. Pastors and staff can be tempted by authority or, or honor that comes from being needed and looked to, and at times can minimize maybe the efforts of those less trained. But the congregation can also be just as happy to let the pastors and the staff do the ministry. We all know the feeling of being out of our depth and just hoping the pastor will come along and tell us what to say. And I think if we're honest, we all have weighed what we might have to give up in other areas of our life to give time and energy and focus to ministry and service in the church. There was a a 19th century British statesman who famously quipped, he said, what does the church layman really want? And he's speaking as a church layman. He wants a building that looks like a church, a clergy dressed in the way he approves, services of the kind he's been used to, and then to be left alone. And that's sometimes our temptation. But that's not the pattern that Scripture calls us to. Paul is calling us to remember that each and every one of us, as a follower of Christ, has been given a spiritual gift, a gift of grace given to us by Jesus Himself to be used so that the church, His body, might be built up and encouraged. And our call is to minister to one another as we are equipped by the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, so that Christ's body, His church, is built up in unity and knowledge and maturity, so that it grows in holiness and fruitfulness and beauty and becomes what Christ has saved it to be and called it to be to the glory of His name. That's the purpose that God has in giving us these gifts. And that's the pattern by which we use them. As we come to an end this morning, let me just suggest two takeaways for us from God's Word this morning. 
First, I think our task is clear. Christ, our victorious King, has given us a variety of gifts with one purpose in mind. That we might minister to one another with these gifts so that Christ might build up His church in faith and holiness. And Scripture itself gives us the conclusion. Paul in Romans 12, 6 concludes this way. He says, having gifts, in other words, that's a fact, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. It's a simple application. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 4. He says, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You know what a steward is. Someone who's been entrusted with something and is called to be faithful with it for the purpose of the master. We've each been given grace, so let us use it. You know, I've had the privilege over the years of reading many of the testimonies of our youth and how they've come to know Christ. And I can tell you for a fact that those of you who volunteer to teach Sunday school, who volunteer in Wednesday night clubs, who volunteer with Good News Clubs or in Vacation Bible School, who volunteer with our youth group, you are strengthening and building up Christ's church. And I've heard it in the testimonies of our people. When you comfort and encourage the weak and the hurting and the anxious, when you warn and pursue and persuade the wandering, when we lead studies of God's Word and encourage one another in holiness, we are being used as instruments in God's hand to build up His church. And of course, I know that for many of us, there are seasons of life when we are less able to minister than others. There's times of sickness. There are times with young children that we can do less in service of others. But, but these are seasons of life. They're temporary and they will pass and we wait on the Lord through them. But on the whole, brothers and sisters, if this is God's growing instructions for His church, this is how the church grows and matures. If this is His manual for the health and building up of His body, then let each of us minister to one another as good stewards of the gifts that God has given us. And finally, just remember the blessing and the privilege we have. See, Jesus Jesus cannot be reduced to a boss who's given us an ability and told us we have to go do this. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus has loved us. Jesus has given Himself for us. And our response is love for Him and who He is and all that He's done for us. I think about, I think about Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, where he says to his fellow believers, he says, Jesus is the one that though we have not seen Him, we love Him. We love Jesus. And, and look, around, look around at your fellow believers around the sanctuary or, or around the world. You know, you know we're, we're all a bit odd. We're a bit sinful. We're all a little bit of fixer-uffers, to quote the trolls from the Frozen movie. But we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And as John has said in 1 John 4, Beloved, if God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, using our gifts for the church, using our gifts because Jesus has given them to us and called us to use them, is is not a matter of what we have to do. It's a matter of love. 
We serve one another because we love Jesus and we love his people. Now Christ has won the victory. Christ has died for our sins. He has nailed them to the cross. He has disarmed the rulers and authorities arrayed against his people. And in his victory ascent, he has received the Holy Spirit only to pour him out again on us, distributing precious spiritual gifts to each one of us. Some to equip the saints, but all to use their gifts to minister to one another. And we walk worthy of our calling by using those gifts in order to build up the church in holiness and in maturity as it prepares to dwell with Him to the glory of His name for all eternity. Let's pray. Our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how we thank You. How we thank You for this tremendous plan. No, it sure seems that as the infinite God of all power, you could do all the ministry yourself far easier than involving us. And yet, in your undeserved kindness, in your grace, you have gifted each of us so that we might have the privilege and joy of ministering to one another, of encouraging one another in Christ, so that we are your instruments calling into building up your church as you prepare it to dwell with you forever. What a blessing. Father, would you show us how to minister to one another? Would you give us the calling, the opportunity, and may we be eager to do so for the glory of your name. We pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.